I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. And by way of introduction to the subject this morning, I want to remind you of what Paul is dealing with uh, as he writes to this Corinthian church. This church was founded during Paul's second missionary journey. For 18 months, he spent time in the city of Corinth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and winning converts. But after he left the church and went to other places to preach, the old pagan lifestyles of the Corinthian people began to creep back in, and it wasn't long before this church was involved in gross immorality. And one of Paul's purposes in writing this letter is to confront that immorality. And then along with the immorality came another problem in the church, and that's a problem of immaturity. There's one thing that we need to face today, friends, and that is the more immoral that Christians are, the more immature that they will be. You'll never, and get this into your heart and your mind right now, you will never begin to understand the deep things of God until you get the very simple rudimentary rudimentary things of God into your heart and you understand them. And that is that God wants a holy and a righteous people. God's very concerned about the way we live our lives, the way we act, the way we dress, the things that we do. We ought to exemplify Christ in everything in our life. And to the degree that you fall short of God's goal of perfection in Christ, you'll never be what God expects you to be. So here's one of the things he talks about, immorality, and the immorality contributed greatly to their immaturity. So now here is Paul dealing with the church where people think that they're very mature spiritual Christians, when in fact they are spiritual babies. A lot of time has passed, and these people had not grown spiritually as they should. And the spiritual shortcomings of this church could not have been in evidence in any greater way than the way that they used jealousy and pride and envy in their exercise of spiritual gifts. In the 12th chapter... Paul began to talk about spiritual gifts, and he told them how that God had given them those gifts to use, and those gifts were for the, for the uh, edification of the body of Christ. They were to build up Christ's church. They weren't for their personal aggrandizement. And he teaches them that pride and self-promotion will always get in the way of the chief thing that you ought to have in your life, and that is love for God and love for other Christians. When you start to promote yourself and when you get prideful, Like these people were, you will not have the love that you need. And so in chapter 13, Paul talked about the superiority of love. Now we come to chapter 14, and once again, Paul turns his attention back to the spiritual gifts. And remember, when he talked about love in chapter 13, it's in the context of of speaking about spiritual gifts. He had a little interlude there to explain some things to us. In chapter 13, he said there are spiritual gifts in the church. Some of these will cease. And by way of example, he gave three prominent gifts in the church. He tells us that tongues, that that prophecy and knowledge, those things will pass away in the church, but love is the one thing that abides forever. And remember again, love in chapter 13 is in this discourse about spiritual gifts. Well, he takes up spiritual gifts once again in chapter 14, and the one gift in this church that was blown way out of proportion above all the other gifts was the gift of speaking in tongues. The Corinthians were practicing speaking in tongues, and they had become very mixed up about this. And the thing that they didn't understand, that of all the spiritual gifts that God had given, name all of them, 
And of all that God had given, the gift of tongues was the least of all spiritual gifts that were given. Now, that's the way the devil works in the church today. He confuses people. The devil tries to turn things upside down. So today we have a charismatic movement that's very upside down about this. Folks, I do not want to be unkind to anyone on this subject. It's not my purpose to make anyone mad. But I don't believe that a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ should ever soft-pedal things or be wishy-washy about what he believes. Some preachers will preach on this subject and they become so sensitive to feelings that they'll start to make all kinds of excuses about how and why tongues could be used in the church today, how somehow they could be acceptable. But I am not going to do anything today to tell you anything other than the truth. And I believe that those gifts are not from the Holy Spirit as they're used today. They come from another spirit. They come from a false spirit And I do believe that they are demonic in origin. If they don't come from God's spirit, they have to come from another spirit. Now, chapter 14 is very clear here that that tongues were useful in their time. But as the church grew to maturity, the time and the purpose for the gift of tongues was over. And so now, Paul says, the superior gift in the church is the preaching of the word of God Now, that was always true, but the preaching of the Word of God is to take precedence over everything that we do in the church. Preaching is the superior gift in the church today. So this is what we're going to talk about. For a couple of weeks, we're going to deal with the subject, and that is preaching versus tongues. Preaching versus the use of tongues. Now, let's read about it. We're going to start in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 5. If you'd stand with me, please. Now, we have all these other verses down to verse number 25, but we're not going to consider all the verses today. Next week, we'll come back and talk about verses down the other verses down to verse 25. But for now, we're reading just verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 1. Follow after charity, and of course, that means love, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. And there, prophesy means to preach. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth, or he that preacheth, speaketh unto men to edification, and exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues. And I'm going to explain what he means by that. But rather that ye prophesied, For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, as we open up this subject and discuss it today, help us to understand what you want done in your church today. What's most important for us? We do believe, according to your word, that it's the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless in the message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that we need to understand about chapter 14 is that Paul is speaking about the superiority of the preaching of God's Word. At the time that Paul wrote this, tongues were still being used. Tongues, was, uh, tongues were a viable gift that was in the church at that time. But already the use of tongues was fading away. And what the Corinthians were doing, they'd gone past the, the biblical use of tongues in their services, and they'd gone beyond what God intended for this gift to be used for. Gifts are to be used, spiritual gifts are to be used for the good of all, 
And when someone does not understand what's going on, they don't understand what's being said, then what good is that gift? In the next sermon, next week, we're going to give some examples that Paul gives in the rest of the passage. And he really drives the point home here about how we need to understand what's going on right here in these services so we know what God expects from us. But as we begin the subject today, I want to deal with just this one point the first point of the message, which is the illumination of preaching. Preaching is the number one gift in the church because that is the means by which God communicates his word. Now, for sure, God will speak to you through prayer, and you ought to be a person of prayer. God will speak to you as you read his word, and you ought to read God's word. But when we come together as a church, when we're here assembled as the church of Jesus Christ, the gift that benefits all of us in exactly the same way is the gift of preaching. And that's because as we sit here today, God is communicating the message that he wants us to hear. So the one gift that Paul says that you should desire is preaching. Now look at verse number one. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. You may remember we discussed all the different spiritual gifts, or many of them. And I, and I said that when we were talking about that, one thing that you should not do, you should not pray for a specific spiritual gift. That's not up to you to decide which gift that you're to have. God judges that. God will give you the gift that he wants you to have. So you don't have to pray for God to give you a specific spiritual gift. So why is it then that Paul says here in this verse that you are to desire this spiritual gift. Well, the key to that is to understand Paul's not talking about individuals in the passage. He's speaking here about the church body as a whole. What the church should desire is that preaching would be the prominent thing that takes place in the church. Because preaching is going to do far more good for everybody concerned than any other thing that we can do. Now, we notice in verse number 2, he says that the one who speaks in tongues does not speak unto men, but unto God. Now, that would seem very strange to us, because why would God need us to speak to him in a tongue that we can't understand and other people can't understand? Well, there's a secret to the passage in really understanding what he means. It's all centered in what these Corinthians do, were doing. What they were actually doing was practicing pagan utterances. They were using some kind of a, an ecstatic language. They weren't speaking in tongues that people used in that time. And just like many of the charismatic churches today, they were speaking in something that no one could understand. And pagans would do that all the time in their rituals. That was a part of their worship service. They became very ecstatic and they spoke all of this gibberish. And that's just one more proof for you that what's practiced today in many churches is more pagan in origin than it is Christian. Now, what Paul is talking about here is that they were speaking to a God. Now, actually, if, if you look this up in the original language here, what he really means, they're speaking to a God, which is not even God at all. They aren't speaking to Jehovah God. Now, at all times, when, when you see in the Bible that men spoke to God... They were always speaking in languages that people could understand. Moses spoke to God often. You can read Moses' words as he speaks to God, and he speaks in language that, that, that could be understood. And God spoke back to him in Moses' language. When the prophets prophesied, we read throughout the Bible, they spoke to God, they prayed to God, and they always spoke in a language that you could understand. 
when Mary and Joseph received word from the angels that Christ was going to be born, how did they speak to him? How did Gabriel speak to Mary and Joseph? He spoke to them in a language they could understand. You can search the Bible from cover to cover, and you'll never find one single instance in any place where any person spoke in a language to God that people could not understand. It was known languages. And so when Paul says here, when you use all these weird utterances, when you have this ecstatic language, he says, you don't speak to men. But what does preaching do? It speaks to men. It speaks to people. Uh, preaching is beneficial. God's people are blessed by it. People are saved by this, by the preaching of the Word. And so it's far better to speak a message that people can understand. Well, how much better is preaching? We're going to talk about that. I want to give you three ways that preaching is better than tongues. First of all, preaching is better for education. Preaching is better for our education. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to raise your hand, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you do take some time to read the Bible? (laughs) Just about everybody in here. That's great. How many of you understand everything that you read? Jason. He understands everything that he reads. Well, that tells me he reads very little then. Most of you probably don't understand everything that you read. And so what do you need? You need someone to explain it to you, don't you? And that's what happens when we get up here and preach the Word of God. We begin to educate. We begin to explain what the Bible means. And you need that. You need someone who can explain the doctrines of God's Word. So part of my job as your pastor is to preach and to teach the Word so that you can understand it. I want you to listen to how Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here's why. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is what happens when you're uneducated about doctrine. Somebody will come along, and they'll preach something, and you'll believe it. It's going to be a false thing, something that's not true. If you don't know what true doctrine is, you can't compare it. You can't compare what you hear to what's true. And so Paul says, if you are uneducated about the Word of God, and then you're going to be tossed to and fro with everybody who comes along. So it's my responsibility and my job as your pastor to educate you about God's Word. But what if I stood up here today and I preached to you in Portuguese? Does anybody here speak Portuguese? I don't see a hand. Would that benefit you if I spoke to you today in Portuguese? Of course it wouldn't. What if I got up here... And it wasn't Portuguese, but it was just some kind of wild thing that I started saying that nobody's ever heard of before. And it sounded like just a bunch of crazy things off the top of my head. Would that benefit you? It wouldn't benefit you, and it certainly wouldn't benefit me. And so preaching is used in a way that you can understand it because that's best for your education. So that's one of the things that makes preaching so much better than the use of tongues in the church. If we're going to spend time doing something in church, why aren't we educating people about God's Word and things that they can understand? 
The second thing that preaching is better for, preaching is better for edification. He says this in verse number 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification. That's one of those words that Paul was really fond of. What it means is it compares the church to a building. And you remember there are three metaphors that Paul uses for a church. He calls it a bride. He says it's a building. And he says it's a body. So three different ways that he uses this. But here, specifically, he uses that word edify. And what do you do when you edify? What do you do with a building? You build buildings, don't you? You build it up. And that's what he's talking about. You build an edifice. So the church is built up by preaching. There are two ways that I think that God builds his church through preaching. First, he builds up the individual. When you come to hear God's word preach, you're strengthened in your faith. You come in here and explain, and you, you, you have it reaffirmed to you where you stand and, and what God has done for you. There's nothing like preaching that will increase your faith and fortify you for daily living. Now, you think that you might be able to do without preaching? I promise you this, when you absent yourself from preaching, you'll be a spiritual weakling. There's just no way, because this is God's form of nourishment. Nourishment for the soul. You know, at work, people are always glad to get to Wednesday. And they call Wednesday hump day. Wednesday is the day when you get through that, you're on the downhill towards the weekend, and it's all going to be over before you have to start again. You know, Christians have their hump day on Wednesday as well. But what we do on our hump day is we come to church, don't we? Some of us come to church on Wednesday night, and what happens? We get pumped up again in order to get us through the rest of the week, in order to get to Sunday again, where we hear the preaching of the Word of God. You need that. We're built up, we're strengthened, we're nourished by the preaching of God's Word. That's the spiritual effect of preaching. The church is edified. Well, there's another purpose for it, and that is that the church would be physically, in a sense, built up. Now, I don't mean building this building like we have here, but I mean we add things to the church. And what is it that we add? We add people. Peter calls us lively stones that are built up into a spiritual house. And so when we preach the Word of God, we win those people to Christ, and then they become a part of God's church. And so we're engaged in building up His church by adding every time that someone walks the aisle or every time someone receives Christ and comes into the church, we build on this spiritual building. We're putting more lively stones into place. Paul said, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, let's go back to tongues again. Let's compare that. Have you tried to win somebody to Christ through the use of tongues? Have you ever heard of somebody being won to Christ because they were spoken to in a tongue? How edifying are tongues? Now, in verse number 4, he says that tongues will make you look pretty good. They'll build you up. And, you know, I really think that verse number 4, Paul may be speaking a little bit facetiously. He says the tongues will build you up. But what's the point of all of Paul's preaching when he talks about the church? Who are you? What are you supposed to be built up for? I mean, in the sense that, that, that you're somebody in the church and you're somebody to look at. He's not interested in that. Preaching is better because it builds you up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophesying, he says, edifies the church. And so do you see that? Preaching is better than tongues for edification. So why in so many of these churches do they put tongues way up here on top? They say that's the thing that you need to do, and they leave the preaching of the Word of God alone. 
Third thing, preaching is better for exhortation. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation. Exhortation means encouragement. Exhortation is for me to speak earnestly to you and to encourage you to do what's right for God. There's one definition of exhortation that says it means to cheer you up. It means to, to pep you up, to inspire you. Inspire you to reach higher for God. And so when you listen to the preaching of the Word of God, that stirs you up, it convicts you, it spurs you to do more for the Lord. You know, I've seen way too many dragging Christians. There are Christians that spiritually, they can barely put one foot in front of the other. And I think a lot of it's because they have neglected to hear God's Word. I was listening to to a television program, or watching a television program the other day, and there was a Marine recruit in this television program, And what he was trying to do, he was trying to run an obstacle course and scale a wall. He would run up to that wall, he'd start to climb, but he he just couldn't get over it. He kept falling down, he'd tackle it, he'd go again, he'd fall back down. And each time that he fell, there was this mud hole that was right behind him. Anybody ever been in the Marines? Dave Sharon has, and he won't fail to tell you that he has been. But there's this big mud hole behind him. And every time he tried to get over that obstacle, of course, he'd fall back and right on his back into that great big mud hole. Well, he kept trying and trying and trying. And the other recruits were watching him. And the drill sergeant was watching the other recruits watching him. And so he said, what are you, Marines? He said, you're a team. And he says, if he doesn't get over that wall, we're all going to stay here and get over that wall. Well, they wouldn't let him push him over the wall, but you know what they did? They ran up there beside him and right in his ear while he was trying to climb. You can do it. You can do it. Get over that wall. You can make it. And sure enough, the recruit scaled the wall. Well, this is what Paul is saying about exhortation. Exhortation is the thing that cheers you on. You're stumbling, you're down, everything seems to be going wrong, but you come to God's house and you hear the preaching of the Word of God, and there you get the encouragement to go on in your Christian life. It encourages you, and it's exhortation, it cheers you on, so that you understand that in order for you to have joy and contentment in your Christian life, you must have the success of living the Christian life. And that's what it's all about. Paul called it the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what my prize that I'm looking forward to? One day that I stand in the presence of God and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what you get from the preaching of the Word of God. Now, if you stop coming to church, see how long that it takes you to fall back into sin. See how many times this happens to you that you fall on your back right in that mud hole again. You know, I've seen it happen to many, many Christians. They start missing services and then everything starts to become an excuse They look at everybody and everything with this jaundiced eye and suddenly everything becomes a problem to them. You need encouragement. And that's why the New Testament writers spend so much time in this era exhorting, encouraging Christians in the Word of God. Now let's compare that to tongues again. How useful are are tongues for exhortation? What would you get from a tongue that would encourage you to strive harder, to keep fighting, to keep struggling, and keep going on for the Lord? At the very best, tongues is simply an emotional experience. And what it does, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire for a little bit. And it, poof, like that, it's gone. It's it's not there anymore. Where's the encouragement in that? Where's the strength that you receive from it? So preaching is far superior for exhortation. 
Now notice one other thing that he says in that third verse. He says, prophesying speaks to men for comfort. I didn't include it on your listening sheet, but you want to write that out to the side, that preaching also does this. It's good for you for comfort and consolation. I mean, not every sermon that I get up to preach is for that purpose, but there are many times, and you'll notice it in the Word of God, that that the, the apostles and Jesus, they speak words of comfort. Jesus did it often. Read the 14th chapter of John. And there Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. One of the most comforting texts that we find in the Bible. There were the disciples. They were facing the impending death and the the crucifixion of Christ. Persecution was going to follow that. And Jesus just simply says to them, Let not your heart be troubled. I often use that text when I'm preaching funerals. It's comforting. Do you ever wonder why that you have a preacher at a funeral? Why why is there a sermon preached at a funeral? Usually, it's for the idea of comfort, isn't it? Especially when that person is is a saved person. They're lying there in that casket, and the body's there, but they've gone on to be with the Lord. And and the preacher emphasizes that. Those are words of comfort. But what if I go over to the casket and somebody's laying there, and uh, I say, oh, I tell the family, I'm so sorry for your loss. But then I start rattling off something that they totally don't understand. Makes absolutely no sense to them at all. Would they be comforted by that? No, they wouldn't. They sure wouldn't. But what if I was speaking in a real tongue? I mentioned Portuguese a moment ago, but what if I began to speak to the family in Swahili? Would that comfort them? No, because tongues aren't there, not given for comforting. Preaching is better for our comfort. It's better for exhortation and comfort. Now, we notice here something in verse number 4 that some people will take as, as justification for using a private prayer language. So they say, well, okay, well, maybe it's not supposed to be used in the church, but it's all right to have a private prayer language where you use all these ecstatic utterances. Paul is not giving permission for private prayer language. He's still talking here about the context of the church. And what he's trying to get across to them is any time that you use a gift that is for your personal satisfaction, if it's something that builds you up and doesn't build other people up, then it's not supposed to be used in a church setting. It doesn't help other people to use it that way. And so he emphasizes the preaching again. So if we just look at this subject in the proper context, people could barely easily see that tongues... Are not, were not a common occurrence even in the first century. And there were some people who spoke in tongues, but it wasn't a common occurrence. In fact, what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians is rebuking and giving strict regulation for the use of tongues. So he, he's already told us in chapter 13 that tongues are on the way out. And so he asked them, why do you put all of your spiritual eggs in that basket? Preaching is the way to go. Preaching is the thing that has sustained the church for the past 21 centuries. Tongues played no part in that. Remember we talked about that last week? There weren't any tongues again until, until the beginning of the 20th century. They didn't even play a prominent part in the first century. That's why Paul's dealing with it here. So why do we have all the emphasis on it today? Now here's the thing. I, I'll promise you this is almost always true. That in churches that emphasize sign gifts, and this is where they put all of their, as I said, eggs in their spiritual basket. If they put it into that, you'll find that there's practically no doctrine, strong doctrine taught in charismatic churches. Somebody come to me and show me where someone who emphasizes the sign gifts 
is known for strong doctrinal stands. And I'm talking about correct stands on the Word of God. Because if you look into this, you find that there, many of them are off on the church. They're off on the issue of baptism. Almost without exception, those churches are off on the doctrine of eternal security. They're off on the use of the correct Bible versions. They're off on justification by faith, through great, by grace through faith alone. They're off on that. And certainly we can say they're off on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So where are you going to find doctrinally mature Christians among that group? What you do find are emotional Christians. But you don't find a whole lot there that really sustains people. And you know why? Because tongues is not the thing. Preaching is the thing. You're never going to get right doctrine out of wrong practices. It just won't happen. Now today's message is part number one. I've got more to say about the issue next week. This is important, and Paul spends more time on this one gift than he does all the others because this is the one that's so sorely abused. And so if the Apostle Paul were standing in front of you today, he would do the exact thing that I'm doing right now because after killing the use of tongues in the first century, people have tried to resurrect it, and it's to the detriment of God's church. Now we find that the charismatic movement is one of the fastest-growing influences among Christians in the world. I want you to understand something now. I'm not saying that people that are confused about the gift of tongues are not saved people. This is not a salvational issue that we're talking about. But I would say this, that among many of them, their salvation might be strongly suspect because of all the other false doctrines that go along with this. You look and see what's happened when tongues came in. The reemergence of signed gifts has given us the prosperity gospel. That's being preached all over the United States today. The name it and claim it things, the word of faith movement, it grew out of, a, out of this sign gift type of thing. Faith healing, where you have all these charlatans running around and, and uh, making money off of the gospel, all kinds of money-making schemes. It came with the practice of these sign gifts. Troubles in church finances where churches are not honest with the amount of money that comes into the church and disseminating and giving correct information about how much money a church has, what kind of churches have the most problem with that? I know about this because I was in church finance for many years, and I, and I counseled people about this. Many of it flows right through those who practice the sign gifts. What I'm trying to tell you is that trouble follows this doctrine wherever it goes. So it's worth speaking more about, and I'm going to speak more about it. But let me finish up today by looking at verse number 5. And this bears explanation because it's confusing, maybe confusing. He says, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Paul definitely recognized that the gift of tongues was given by the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 13, he tells us that it will end. It was never intended to be a permanent gift in the church. But the gift was still there at that time. And so Paul was never going to despise any gift that's given by the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying in in verse number 5 is, if the Holy Spirit gives everybody in the church the gift of tongues, that's the Spirit's decision, and that's fine with me. Whatever the Spirit does, it's a wonderful thing. So Paul's not trying to do away with anybody's gift. And yet at the same time, he knows this, that the Holy Spirit had not given that gift to everyone in the church. 
Many of them were practicing it, but the Holy Spirit had not given it to everybody in the church. To find out that, all you have to do is go back to chapter 12. Very clearly, he said, is everybody an apostle? He says, are all of you prophets? Can all of you work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? And the obvious answer in the construction in the original language, the obvious answer is no. So he knows that God's not going to give them all the gift of tongues. Now that's kind of strange because in many of the charismatic churches today, this is the thing they tell you you need. If you're going to be a spiritual Christian, you must show your spirituality by using the gift of tongues. And Paul says that can't be right. So what does he mean by this? He means that if God gave the gift of all, to all and they used the gift rightly and if it didn't provoke jealousy and they still showed love, if they put that above everything, then God could use the gift. But he's saying here, God is not going to use this gift in the way that you practice it. Listen to something that, that was said to Moses in, in Numbers chapter 11. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That was spoken, uh, or Moses spoke that in the context of there were, there were people that were trying to protect Moses' position as God's prophet. And so there were other people out there that were prophesying, they were getting some kind of messages from God, and, and they were passing those messages along. And uh, some people tried to stop that, and they said, don't do that because Moses is God's prophet. Well, this is kind of what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that the gift is reserved for me alone and the gift is not reserved for just a few others. If God gives the gift to everyone, so be it. But let's remember the context. The context is the superiority of preaching. And so he says then, if you desire a gift to be prominent, then the one that you ought to desire is the gift of preaching. Ask God to give you a lot more preaching. They weren't interested in a lot more preaching. You know why? Because the gift of tongues was the one that made them stand out. The gift of tongues, as they were using it, they could say, I am a spiritual Christian and you are not because I can speak in tongues. So it was exalting the one who was using it. But what does preaching do? It doesn't exalt the speaker. It educates, we said. It edifies and it exhorts. And so what the preaching of the gospel does, it points people to the one who should be exalted. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is not even interested in exalting the Holy Spirit. He's interested in exalting Jesus Christ. That's who we believe for our salvation. The Holy Spirit is not interested in exalting sign gifts. He's interested in exalting Jesus Christ. So, Paul says preaching is better. For better is he that prophesied, better is he that preacheth, than he that speaketh with tongues. And what he means, he's not not saying that the person who speaks is any better. He's saying this helps the church better. Tongues never did and tongues never will do what preaching can do in edifying the Savior. So, if there's someone who's there using tongues and nobody could understand the language that they're speaking and, and... that's what they're doing in the church. He says, if, if somebody can interpret that, well, that would be okay. But still, if they interpret it, it can't be anything different from or anything better than the preaching of the Word of God. So, stick to the preaching. Now, let me close this part of the message. 
Next week, we're going to come back to this, and we're going to see how Paul drives this point home, because in the message next week, we're going to discover what exactly it was that the gift of tongues was given for in the first century. Why did God give them tongues? Well, here's what you need to learn. The greatest value for the church is a gift used in the way that God gave it. We're never going to accomplish God's work by twisting and distorting what God says to suit ourselves. There's one thing, folks, that I know will always benefit God's people. It will always enhance and edify, and that is the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said to Timothy, Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So if we ever do anything in Berean Baptist Church that substitutes for the preaching of the Word of God, if we take away the thing that's supposed to be most prominent in what we do here, which is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe it will cease to be a New Testament church. Do you believe the Word? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the thing that you have to believe to be saved. So don't look for sign gifts any longer. God's not going to give you a sign. Don't look for tongues. The thing that you need to do and to look for is that the love of God may be shed abroad in your heart through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching is the superior thing for the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... The message that we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, preaching the word of God is the most important thing that we can ever do. This is the way that people learn about Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray that there might be some person here today who has understood this, that they really need to know that, that they are not to look for all the sign gifts and all these other things that are taking place, but to put all their hope and their confidence in you. And I pray for Christians who might be confused about this. Help them to see the word of God as it's given and to emphasize the thing that the Bible emphasizes most, and that is the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.